First off, I just want to say uh, good morning and welcome. Uh, like Stephanie, welcome to Livingstone Church. My name is Jeffrey. I'm our student ministry pastor here. So if you guys are new and like, hey, I wonder who that guy is, uh, that's who I am this morning. I get to share, ooh, I get to share out of Exodus chapter 17, uh, verses 8 through 16 in the Pew Bibles, if you need it. It's on page 59. Um, This morning, uh, I'm going to share my experience. The last couple weeks, I've been away at camp with Young Life as a head leader. And uh, right after second service, I'll be heading right back out to camp and hanging out with high school friends. Uh, We'll be there for four weeks, my wife and I, on an assignment. And uh, as I was preparing and getting ready for this message this morning, I started thinking about camp as my backdrop for this message. And I think with camp and what's been going on and what camp entails, uh, there's some pretty cool similarities that I've got to witness over these last couple of weeks. Um, but before we get started, let us pray. Father, I thank you so much. Lord, this morning, may we just come with our hearts completely open to receive what you have for us. Lord, as we get to hear of Moses and the Israelites and their opportunity to show you glory through their battle, I think of our lives as the things that we battle through, uh, the, the stuff that is in our life. But like the Israelites do, we believe that you are good. Do we show humility? in the midst of our junk. And so this morning, Lord, I just pray that you come forward and deliver the message that you want to be heard. We just pray this humbly in your son's amazing name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I start reading and I started thinking about camp, and what it takes to, to run a, a Young Life camp of 700 high school kids that come for seven days, I start thinking about the preparation leading into it. So with camp, you, you start off with your camp director. That's the person that goes out and gets their team and starts looking around the areas and the regions of who do they want to partner with for four weeks. The first thing you do is you go and grab a speaker. In this session, our speaker is Kent Williams, who's an awesome guy who can tell some amazing stories. Your second piece is you go and get a program team. Who's going to engage with their students? Who's going to make them laugh? Who's going to do the funny games and the skits? The next thing you got to get is your head leader team, which I'm a part of. You got to get seven individuals who likes to stay up late, who can play security, who can be mean, but at the same time have a gentle heart. Then you go and get summer staff coordinators. They're in charge of college-age students that are coming for a month to serve. With that, you go get work crew coordinators. They're in charge of our high school friends. These are the kids that maybe the year before, they just gave their life to Christ. So they're in the midst of their own junk. 
now you got to go recruiting college kids and high school kids to fill those roles. So as we look at this passage, this is how I'm looking at it through the eyes of being at camp for four weeks. Chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill, the staff of God in my hand. So if you look at verses 8 and 9, the first enemy that we see is Amalek. This is the first time the the Israelites are going to be facing a physical battle. I equate camp to this physical battle. The kids are coming with broken hearts. Maybe alcoholism, drugs, pornography. Maybe a girl has been molested. Or a young man has been violated. So our enemy at camp is the brokenness that these kids come with. So you got to think as a camp director, as you're sitting and looking and wading through all these different areas of high school and middle school, or high school students and their leaders that are showing up to camp, just as Moses sat and looked at who he was going to be facing. Verse 10, so Joshua did as Moses was told, did as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek. While Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the hilltop, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. I kind of equate Joshua. When I look at Joshua, I think of our work crew bosses, our summer staff bosses, our head leaders, out there on the front lines. We're going to go and be in the battle. I also look at the adult leaders that show up with their students that have probably spent a year or more in their community walking alongside these students. And they're coming to the camp for seven days to enter into this battle. That's the physical piece. Our camp director, I kind of look at as Moses, constantly praying, constantly looking at the students and the leaders, figuring out how and what to pray for. Aaron, I kind of think of our camp speaker, bringing the gospel. And her, I kind of think of our program team that's going to keep the kids engaged. So that's kind of the backdrop for me as I was reading this. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it into the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. When a high school kid shows up to camp, our biggest prayer is that we blot out their sin life, their brokenness, that as they get back onto those buses and they head back into those communities, that they're a new creation, that now they can see life for what it really is. 
and 15, Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So today, as we get to study this passage from the Old Testament that contains several firsts, this is a very dramatic passage, as it includes the very first battle that was ever fought by the nation of Israel. It also contains the very first reference, reference to a young man by the name of Joshua. It describes the first real organized conflict with Amaleks, an enemy of God's people for many, many years. And in a rather interesting little piece of bonus information, the passage we just read this morning also contains the very first reference to a writing as Moses is commanded to write down what is taking place during this time. And so it also the first reference to the writing of Scripture in Scripture. Now, how awesome is that, that we get to look back at these first? I have to think about it as we look at these couple firsts. We've seen for years the Israelite people coming out of bondage. And through that entire time, God has carried them through it. Whether it was them screaming of being slaves screaming for food and as Dave spoke last week talking about being thirsty God was constant as you sit here this morning I I challenge you to think about this this idea of your own personal battle the battles we face just in Exodus 17 8 the battle for the Israelite people was that with Amalek that came against Israel. This was their family. Amalek was the son of Esau, the tribe of people that he put together were known as the Amaleks. They will appear several times in the biblical record, and they were always in a position and giving opposition to the people of God. While they were a very real enemy, they remind us of our enemy that we carry with us. Our constant enemy is not someone without, but rather something within those who know the Lord and take seriously their work, walk with God, know about the inner spiritual battles that we fight with the flesh. Whatever said is about whatever said it whatever is said about this battle that the Israelites was facing, we face today. I, I look back at this verse. Verse 9, Moses understanding this battle that they were about to face, he didn't go into it willy-nilly. He put together a game plan. His game plan was to put people in place. His game plan was to set Joseph up. But what if, what if Joseph wouldn't have been obedient? What if Joseph would have said, I wanted to be up on uh, Joshua, my bad, sorry about that. Joshua, what if Joshua wanted to sit up on the hilltop? What if Joshua didn't want to do with what Moses asked of him? That's where I think the humility comes in. I remember as we was getting ready for camp, I started thinking to myself, I don't want to be a head leader again. And so this was very true to me. I grumbled about it for the first couple months. I actually didn't even want to go to camp. I was tired. I was burnt out from this last year of ministry. But for whatever reason, I got stuck going. But I didn't want to be a head leader. 
that's late nights. You're not getting to bed about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. You're up with these high school kids that are sneaking out, smoking weed, or hooking up. Come on. We've all been in high school. We've got to think about it. Bunch of girls from other areas. You'll never see them again. Seven days. It's a, t- a chance to party. That's what a lot of these kids think. So I was grumbling the entire time. I literally was asking, can't I just be a pit boss where I don't have to deal with high school kids? I can be in the back kitchen washing dishes all day, listening to music, out of the sun. But no, for whatever reason, I was called at, for this season to be a head leader. Kind of like for this season, Joshua was being called. He was being called to lead from the front. He wasn't called to be on the right or left-hand side of Moses. It wasn't his time yet. But how often do we grumble? How often do we look at someone else and say, why can't I do what they're doing? I think that's the thing that stuck out to me as I was reading this scripture. As Joshua was put in place, he didn't grumble. He didn't complain. He went out and did his job. See, the post assigned to Joshua, of whom this is the first mention, he is nominated commander-in-chief. I don't know about you, but I want... I wasn't a warrior. Joshua didn't grow up fighting. He had no idea. To be put out with slaves, people of servants, that's like going to battle with your, with your maid and your butler. It's like going out to battle with a guy who's only driven a car. So I started thinking, when the Israelites were asked to fight, there was no grumbling. Joshua selected his army, just as our camp director selected her staff. The craziest thing, God showed up. God accomplished miracles for Israel. And that miracle that he accomplished was he put a warrior in front of Israel, someone to lead the charge. A group of individuals that's never had to fight were asked to finally become warriors. Joshua wasn't in a position to be Aaron or her. He wasn't ready. He wasn't a Moses to ready to lead. The post that, that Moses placed at was to stand on top of a hill. Sometimes I think to myself, and I bet you everyone in this room has thought about it, your boss Why are they in the position they're in? I can do what they're doing. But again, Moses was called to be there at that time. But at the same time, Moses did something that was pretty unique. He understood that he couldn't do this battle on his own. So his stance during the whole time of this battle was his hands lifted high. He understood that this was going to be a war that only God could win. See, even as Joseph was facing this physical battle, Joshua was facing this physical battle, Moses was fighting the spiritual battle. This is where I want to stop and ask, when was the last time you prayed for your spiritual battle, let alone your physical How often do we assume the position that we've got it under control? 
Because when these high school kids showed up to camp, that's what a lot of them feel like and think, that we've got this. Even Moses understood that he was not qualified to win this battle. I love his attitude, the attitude of Moses. The rod was held up as his banner, encouraging the soldiers who might look up and say, yonder is the rod and yonder the hand that it uses it. When such glorious things were, were wrote for us, meaning God is his provider and his encourager and their power. Encouragement of faith to reflect upon the great things God has done for us and review the moments of his favor. Moses also held up this rod to God by way of appeal to him. This fact that he, Moses, wasn't willing to go into this battle alone. It's, it's, it reads here, but Moses' hands grew weary, weary so that they took, stone, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. It's this thought of how often do we let people in? As I've been away at camp, one of the things that I've missed is the people that I have in my communities that surrounds me. Whereas here, Moses had Aaron and her, two individuals that was going to battle with him up on that hill. This is the thought. Who do you have on your hilltop? As I was at camp and I was getting to talk to these students, I got to find people that would be on my hilltop. Fellow head leaders, program team, work crew bosses, we were all in this together. It was pretty beautiful when you go somewhere and you finally see a team working together. Because I think about it here back home, I was thinking about my church family. How often are we in it together? Like really in it together. If you could look to your neighbor left or right and say, I know them and I know everything about them. Are you willing to battle with them? Just as Aaron and her was able to battle with Moses, sometimes it's easier to just do it on our own. I think this is where the humility for me comes in. So often we are stuck in our own stuff that we're not willing to say when we need help. Moses didn't have to say a word because Aaron and her, they knew exactly what Moses needed when he needed it. And that was to get his hands back up in the air. Because every time his hands fell, the Israelite people were getting overwhelmed by Amalek. It was just showing how God needed to be the centerpiece. How God was the one that was really winning this battle. We keep thinking about Joshua down there in the battlefield. He was taking on a physical battle. He was taking on the fight head on. The only issue when we take on these physical battles is we don't stop to pray. Basically, this morning, that was my biggest want out of this whole sermon. was to get us this understanding of do we pray? I'm learning for myself that I'm not a prayer. I'm not into it. For whatever reason, I struggle with it. How often do we stop and get time to just sit and bask in the Lord? 
Over these last two weeks, I found myself really soaking it in, especially day six of week two, just a couple days ago. We were heading to our last dinner at camp. Out of nowhere, a big rumble started. A kid from White Swan decided to come out and wear his colors tonight. A group from Anchorage and Lakewood decided that wasn't going to fly. There was some cussing, some screaming. But after dinner is when the thing started getting hot. I remember as I was walking out of the dining hall, you could see a big mass of bodies moving, moving towards the boys' quads. And I started getting radio traffic. We need all males to the guys' quad. Of course, at 380 pounds, I tried to run up there. I was moving pretty good. But then all of a sudden, something happened. God said, stop, walk, and pray. In the back of my head, I said there was a physical altercation going on that I needed to get there and personally break it up. But instead, God said, no, you need to pray, and I'll break it up. I remember I was walking into the guy's quad. It looked out of a scene of a prison movie. Pillows and bunks going, people screaming. You got to think about 350 young men full of testosterone rumbling around in the ground. There was a group from Anchorage, Alaska. It was about 10 huge Samoan kids, all athletes, all scrappers. As I walked through the quad, I just remember this calming voice in the back of my head is, I am with you. I kind of think it's what Joshua felt like as he was walking through the battlefield. I remember as I started walking up the stairs, I could see these guys teeing off. This young man named Curtis and one of our leaders. The fear in our leader's eyes was scary. From that point on, for the next 15 minutes, I have no idea what I said or what happened. What I do know is afterwards, Ryan approached me and said, you look like a man possessed. Words started flying out of your mouth like nothing I've ever seen. Your eyes were glossed over. He said it was the first time in his life that he's seen the Holy Spirit come out of somebody. And all I was doing was praying. I remember laying hands on this kid, Curtis. He was the biggest one out of all of them. He could have really hurt me. I was afraid of going over the rail. We were on the second floor. He was banging down a door. But for whatever reason, there was a peace throughout the whole quad. There was 40 to 50 adult males from camp staff to work crew bosses, summer staff bosses, head leaders. And each and every one of us was undermanned and unprepared for this. I remember as we started walking down to the hotel lobby, we separated the two groups. And all I could think of is, this is, this is my sermon right here. Think about it. Israelite 
have never been in a battle before. They've never had to pick up a sword. For that, for that moment, I felt like Joshua, unsure and unaware of what was going on. But at the same time, there was a cooling presence. For about two and a half hours, you heard screaming and yelling in the hotel lobby. These young men were mad and upset. They were angry. The coolest thing to watch was what happened when prayer started. All these males that were in that room of the hotel lobby, we weren't screaming back or arguing or yelling. We were praying. There was a calm that came about two hours in. Two and a half hours of dealing with this situation. And the next thing you see is a celebration. Pretty similar to what we see here. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Josh, Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That evening, about 10 of these young men gave their life to Christ. It was the most beautiful thing ever to see these behemoths, these what we thought were monsters, decide to turn away from their old self and accept the living God. It was awesome to see these guys from White Swan enter the room and started hugging and crying. This was the first time the Lord had said, hey, write it down so we can, remem- so we can mem- remember what took place. But verse 16 is what sticks out to me as I was driving over last night. At the end of it, it says, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. These are the sins that we see today. These kids might have gave their life to Christ. These ten boys that was in there fighting and battling might have said, yes, I believe. The downfall is what happens when they head home. What happens when they're back into the real world? What happens when Kurt gets mad again? I love the fact that we get to put up a banner and say, the Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi. We get to remember that. We get to praise it and celebrate it. The hard part is just because we're in Christ doesn't mean life is any easier. Here it is. The kids got to hear the gospel for six days. They've heard of who Jesus is. But on night six, the moment of them hearing about the resurrection, the great news, a fight breaks out. There's a very real enemy, enemy out there. And I know for our high school friends, he doesn't want Jesus to be heard. This, this morning, as we do the reflection, we're not going to do, do it as normal like we normally do here. This morning, we're going to do our reflection as we take communion. 
And what I'm going to ask of you guys this, this morning is to pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. Pray for our high school friends that are at camp this summer and our middle school friends. Pray that when they come home that Jesus will still be their banner. That the commitment that they made at camp is a commitment that they're going to make for their life. That it's not just a flash in a pan. It's not just a high on the top of the mountaintop. But it's going to last and it's going to stick. Pray like Moses prayed with his hands up high. And when you grow weary and tired, make sure you have other people with you that are praying. Just as Aaron and her. Not being afraid to say, I need help. Not being afraid to have someone enter into your life. So as we get ready to take communion, let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity just to share what has been on my heart and what you have placed. Lord, I think of Curtis. I think of those Anchorage boys. I think of the opportunity to speak life and truth. Lord, as we take of this communion this morning, may may we pray for those people that are lost, that don't know you, that are in a real fight. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in your son's amazing name. Amen. This morning, I'm going to kind of switch it up a little bit. We're going to look at John chapter 6. Verses 53 through 58. I'm going to read them. If I can get the elders to come to help pass out communion. Coming back from camp and sharing the gospel with students. It brought me here to John chapter 6, verse 53. This is what Jesus is sharing with his disciples. So as they're passing it out, I'll read it and we'll take communion together. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from the heaven. Not like the bread the fathers are and dead. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum.